Uh, we had uh, a, just a big crew from our church come down, I think it was on Tuesday this week, this past week, and they knocked out some walls downstairs in our classrooms uh, to make bigger classrooms for our student ministries. And that was really exciting to watch and uh, be part of. During one of the union breaks that we had during that project, I said to, I was in one room with a group of guys, and uh, Nathan, our head trustee, was in the other room with a group of guys. And so I said to them, hey, just so you know, this is a competition, and whoever gets the wall down, I don't know what they win, but we're going to win something, right? Whoever gets the wall down first. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, why would you turn this into a competition, Pastor Mark? We're all on the same team. We're all working for the same goal, to which I would reply, that's something a loser would say when they can't get their wall knocked down before the other team. Congratulations to Team Nathan, by the way. Their team, uh, they beat our team, and they got their wall down first, uh, but they did a great job. I was thinking about how we could set up like a rematch, but I don't know how we would do that because we probably need most of the walls around here, so we might not be able to set up a rematch. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, we got those walls out, and we are one step closer to our vision of creating some really great spaces for our students and uh, in our student ministry. So it is really a win for everybody. But there are certain things in life that really shouldn't be a competition. Uh, for example, one of the things that we should not be competing with one another uh, over is who has the most suffering, who has experienced the most pain in this life. You might have uh, been around someone who kind of has this uh, attitude like, hey, you think your life is bad. Why don't you sit down? I'll tell you about all the woes in my painful life. And even though it really shouldn't be a competition, there is a, just a reality to the fact that uh, there are some people who have suffered uh, in greater ways, in deeper ways than others. That is a reality of life. You know, I've, I've had a couple shoulder surgeries, and it was painful leading up to the, those surgeries. The surgery and recovery uh, was certainly painful. Uh, but the reality is there's people that I'm sure you know who have lost limbs. There are people who wake up every day with chronic illness and they are just in pain every day, all day. I've experienced uh, people who, uh, who have treated me poorly, and I'm sure some of you have as well, but I've, I've never been abused Right? I've never been abandoned by someone that I trusted or that, uh, that I thought cared about me. I've lost both of my parents, and that's certainly a painful thing to walk through, but I think the reality is there's those who have lost a child, I cannot begin uh, to, I think, relate to the depth of that pain and sorrow to have lost a child. Um, I've experienced disappointment in life. I'm sure you've experienced disappointment in life as well. Um, but I think I've been around some people that it just, it's been one disappointment after another, after another, piled on top of another, and they have come to a place in life where that's just what they expect out of life. They've come to a place in life where like, it doesn't seem like any of their dreams, any of uh, the things that they would hope to work out in their life, none of it has, and they've just have come to a place where they just expect everything to fall apart and be disappointing. This week, our dog had surgery, and 
Uh, we had you know, a few uh, pretty long nights, you know, caring for for our dog, and um, I, I thought, you know, that's that's tough, but it could be worse, right? I could be the pet owner of a snake. See, you thought I was going to go a different way, and I've I've kind of resolved myself to like one cat joke per sermon series because I figure it's really getting hard for some of you to forgive me week after week, even during a series on forgiveness. Suffering and sorrow and pain is, is not something that you and I would want to be the ultimate champion of. But I think we all know what it feels like at sometimes in life where it's like something works out for someone else, but it didn't work out for me. God answered this person's prayer, but God didn't answer mine. That person got the miracle that they were looking for and praying for, but I didn't. I didn't get my miracle. And sometimes when that happens in life, we may begin to wonder, why is it that I am suffering more than this person? Why is it that I seem to be experiencing more disappointment in life than this person? Why is it that that I seem to be carrying around the weight of sorrow more than this person? And oftentimes when we have questions like that, they are directed at God. And maybe people feel like God has let them down. Maybe they feel like God has disappointed them, or maybe they feel like God has laid more sorrow on them than they deserve, and not nearly enough sorrow on someone else who deserves it. And sometimes those questions begin to turn into anger or accusations against God. And, and there are people who walk around carrying a grudge against God. I want to welcome you back to our series called The Grudge. And, and this series is all about learning how to lay painful things down and experience the freedom of forgiveness. We talked about forgiving the, the small offenses in life, and we do that through demonstrating love, expressing love, and saying, okay, that just happened, but I'm over it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlook it. I'm going to keep moving on. Last week, we talked about forgiving the big betrayals. And what we talked about last week, in order to forgive the big betrayals, we have to remember that forgiveness is primarily an act of obedience to God. And that obedience is connected to our faith in Jesus Christ who has demonstrated forgiveness for us and because of our connection to Him through, this, through His Spirit, He gives us the desire and the power to forgive even the big betrayals in life. And Today, we want to talk about forgiving God. We'll finish up next week with the topic of forgiving ourselves, but Let's spend a little bit of time talking about forgiving God today. What I, what I want to make sure you understand when I say that is, is that I don't mean uh, that we forgive God in the sense that He's done something wrong. God doesn't sin. God doesn't do things that are wrong. So we don't forgive Him in that way. What we're talking about is learning how to lay down our anger that may be directed, even if it's like a low-burn low-grade type anger that we are holding this grudge against God over something that we thought He should do differently than He did, or maybe He didn't intervene in the way we hoped that He would. 
How do we lay that down? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not even sure that God exists, if that's kind of where you're at, you, you, may, you may not even see the problem in holding a grudge against God. For you, you might be like, listen, if God is real like you people say He is, and, and, and you love Him and you worship Him and you do these things for Him, then He should return the favor and make your life work out the way you want. If God is real and He's loving and He's powerful like you Christians say that He is, then why is there pain and suffering and death and all of these horrible things in this world? And if that's where you're at, I just want to say I think those questions are valid. And I'm going to ask if you would just hang in there with us this morning because I, I really think that I can offer you some very helpful answers to your really good questions. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you probably know it's not okay for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, to walk around life holding a grudge against God. Right? You probably know that. It's not that you want to. Uh, you probably want to trust God. You probably want uh, to have a deeper relationship with Him. But maybe you're just struggling because what you've been through has hurt so badly, and, and you just don't know how to lay it down. I think... And I hope and I pray that what, we're gonna, what we talk about today will be very helpful to you. If you're taking notes this morning in a digital format, or maybe you brought a notepad or whatever, uh, I'd like you to write this down or highlight it somewhere. This is what I hope that you will take with you, what I hope that you will find helpful in your seasons of sorrow in life. Maybe you're not in one right now, but you will be. That's part of, that's part of living in this broken world. And I, and I hope and I pray that what we talk about today, even if you don't need it today, that you will store it away and it will be helpful to you when you walk through a season of sorrow in your life. It's this. Our willingness to worship, our willingness to worship will determine if pain results in anger or acceptance. We all have those choices when we walk through pain. That pain can result in anger and a grudge and hatred and turmoil. Or that pain can result in an acceptance of God's love and His purpose, the acceptance of love from others, the acceptance of His healing. But the connection point that we're going to look at today is that of worship. Worship will determine if pain results in anger or acceptance. And I'm basing that statement on what I've learned from the book of Job. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament, and if you open up your Bible kind of in the middle, you'll find Psalm. Psalms is pretty big. If you leaf through and you find Psalms, you've gone a little too far. Just go back a little ways. Job comes right before the book of or Psalms. And I, and I know that we are not competing for who has suffered the most in this life. But I mean, let's admit it, that Job's got to be like the gold medal winner. When you visit the Hall of Fame for tragic suffering in life, you know, his statue's got to be outside of that museum. Now, the book of Job is a pretty long book. It's 42 chapters. And I thought we could do a little experiment together this morning. I thought maybe what we could do is let's see 
who among us has the patience of Job? And so to, to do this experiment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through all 42 chapters, word for word, line by line, until we get through it in one sitting. I kind of figure we'd be done by 3 o'clock. That's what I'm assuming we should be done. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. What I would like to do, though, is give you some highlights from the entire book. I am going to span over some really important parts throughout the 42 chapters, things that you need to know. I would encourage you this week to read all 42 chapters. If you can do it in one sitting, that would be great. If you have to span it out over a couple, that's fine. But what I hope to do is give you some highlights, things you need to know, some contextual information that I think will be helpful to you as we study Job's life and his experience. And I think that his experience with suffering and pain and tragedy, I think will help us land in a place of understanding of why it is that worship and our willingness to worship will determine whether or not our pain results in anger or acceptance. One of the things you need to know about the book of Job is that it is a poem, and it is a poem that is based on actual events in the life of a real person from ancient history who was admired for the way that he walked through and, and the integrity that he held on to during a very tragic season in his life. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it starts off like this. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Not the land of Oz, that's a different story. This is the land of Uz, and we're not exactly sure, Bible scholars are not exactly sure where Uz was, but based on the information within the book and things that we know about ancient Palestine, uh, their best uh, determination, their best conclusion is that the land of Uz was in the Arabian region. What do we know about Job from these verses? Well, we find out that he was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity. We see here that he feared God, that he stayed away or he shunned evil. We find out that Job was a guy that did the right thing. Even when no one was looking, he's a man of integrity, blameless. We also see that he was a man who was blessed by God. Verse 2 tells us he had seven sons, three daughters. They were adults, uh, young adults at this point in his life. And we also see he had lots of property there. You can, you can see in verse 3 all the, the property that he owned. The end of verse 3, it says, He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. If you are holding an NIV, it says that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was like the, the first person to have the, the nickname the goat, right? Greatest of all time, Job. Well, there you go. What did we just learn from those three verses? Well, I think what we just learned is that if you live a righteous life, if you do the right thing, you'll be blessed by God and your life will be perfect. Well, we better keep reading. Because as the story unfolds, we find out that in one day, in one day, he lost everything that you just read. All of his wealth, all of his property, and if you can even begin to imagine the depth of pain and sorrow that would come with losing all ten children in one day. I know it's not a competition, but that is Hall of Fame tragedy status. 
Look how Job responds in verse 20. Job, it says in verse 20, stood up, he tore his robe in grief, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and what did he do? He worshipped. He expressed his grief in worship. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 22 is fascinating. It says, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. He expressed his grief in worship, but he did not charge God with wrongdoing. He did not hold a grudge against God. That's fascinating to me. I want to know how he did that. Chapter 2 Things, if you can believe it, things got worse. On top of all of these, the, the financial loss and the emotional loss, the relational loss, in chapter 2 we find out that he has uh, these sores like shingles all over his body. And then we come to find out as you read through chapter 2 that his wife was in even bigger pain than the sores. If you can imagine being in, in that kind of situation and you're hurting and you're covered in, in, in shingles, sores, it's, it's terrible, and then your wife says, are you still trying to hold on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Wow. That's pretty harsh. But I want to be fair to Job's wife. We need to make sure we remember that she just lost all 10 of her kids too. I'm sure that the financial part of that was was devastating. To be very wealthy and then to be completely bankrupt, I'm sure it was difficult. But she just lost all 10 of her kids. I find it very interesting, though, how they both walk through the same painful experience have very different reactions, very different responses. Job says to her when, when, when she lashes out at him, curse God and die, his response to her was, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And it says in chapter 2 that in saying this, again, Job did not sin against God. He did not hold a grudge against God. I want to know how he did that. Job and his wife experienced the same tragedy, and I know it's not a competition, but if if we could be fair for a moment, not only did he experience the loss of children and wealth, but he's experiencing this health crisis that she's not. And yet Job's wife lands in this place of anger where she wants to curse God, And Job lands in this place of acceptance, and he wants to praise God. And I want to know why. What made the difference between their responses as they walk through the same tragic experience? And as you read what we just read here in chapter 1, Job expresses his grief in worship. There's the difference. 
Our willingness to worship will determine if pain results in anger or acceptance. As the story of Job continues, what you will see is that he does slip into, he does walk into some dark places in the chapters ahead. In chapter 3, Job begins to express his grief and he says how he wishes he had never been born. He wished that he had died in childbirth. He says he defines his life as having no peace, no quietness, no rest. The only thing he can define his life as is that of turmoil. And, And maybe... Maybe some of you have been through that level of sorrow and grief, and you can relate to that. In chapter 4, Job's friends show up to comfort him. But instead of comforting him, their conversation with him turns into this 34-chapter-long uh, 34 uh, conversation back and forth about why this is happening and what Job must have done to deserve it. And Job's like, I didn't do anything to deserve it. And his friends are like, well, you must have done something. And Job says, no, I'm telling you guys, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And they just kept coming back at him. You had to have, Job. What did you do to deserve this? Back and forth for 34 chapters. Not very comforting. Then in chapter 38, as God has been listening to these questions being asked of one another. In chapter 38, God steps into the conversation and he starts asking some questions of Job. God speaks up and he starts asking these questions of Job to remind Job that God is God and not Job. That God is sovereign and in control. That God doesn't doesn't owe Job an apology. He doesn't owe Job an explanation. If you listen to some of the questions, I just wrote down a few of the questions that are found in this, uh, these statements, these, these things that God asked Job. Listen to some of them. God says, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? You're going you're gonna to tell God, God, you're in the wrong. You should have did it my way. You're going to correct God. He asked this question, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? He asks, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Who do I owe anything to? He says, I own everything. At the end of these questions, the end result is that Job repents of his anger that he had had picked up and began to hold against God. He repents of that. God does bless him with new blessings. Now, just understand, one of the reasons I really wanted to dive into the book of Job rather than some other stories uh, that people have gone through difficulties and painful tragedies and sorrow, one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to land with Job is because he didn't get his kids back. God didn't raise his 10 kids back to life. He blessed him with with more children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but Job still lived the rest of his life with that pain. He still had to manage that pain and walk through it and deal with it and work things out with his wife. Right, All of that stuff still had to happen. 
It wasn't like it got a reset button from God. But God did bless him with a long life, healed him, more kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. I don't want to paint a picture of God that is inaccurate or ugly or, 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 or make you think that God is, is unloving or uncaring or not compassionate because he's not. He, he's, he is all of those things. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful. He is compassionate. He's the father, or uh, he's the source rather of all of our comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. God does love us, and He does provide strength and comfort to us when we experience sorrow and pain and tragedy and disappointment in life. But I think the reason why people carry around this angry grudge against God is because they have been pursuing a transactional relationship with God. And what I mean by that is people that say, you know what, I've been doing the right thing for years. I go to church, I, I tithe, um, I, don't, I don't do bad stuff. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been doing the right thing, and so God should bless me. I should not receive bad things, I should receive good things. Bad people deserve the millstone around their neck and be chucked into the sea. But good people like me, God should give us all boats and we should be able to float around the sea and live a life of ease. It's pursuing this transactional relationship with God that does not match up with the gospel. The gospel tells us, no, 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 we're all sinners that deserve death. This transactional uh, idea of this relationship with God where we do some good things and so He should bless us because of that. The Bible uh, describes that our relationship with God is based on grace. It's a grace relationship that God, uh, He loves us and so He gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is unearned, undeserved favor. Job was righteous. He was blameless. And, and it would be easy to make the argument he did not deserve what happened to him. And at first in his story, he was, he was able to deal with that sorrow and that tragedy without sinning, without charging God with wrongdoing, without holding a grudge against God. So what changed? What changed was he started focusing on some questions of why. Why did God allow this pain to happen to me? Why did God do this to me? And what happened with him is he began to ask these questions of why and started to think, well, I don't know. Do I deserve this? Do I not deserve this? This anger began to build. And that anger distorted his view of God. And if you look back at the beginning of his story, what was it? That, that kept the, that anger away from his heart and allowed him to not have a distorted view of God. It was worship. His willingness to worship in a season of pain is what led him away from anger and led him towards acceptance of God's love and healing 
and purpose. Job couldn't see what God could see. He didn't understand what was happening to him. God never gave him an explanation of any of it. It's our willingness to worship that will determine whether our pain results in anger or acceptance. Why is that? What is it about worship that leads our hearts away from anger and leads our hearts towards acceptance? It's because worship positions our hearts under the authority of a sovereign God. Rather than the ang- you know what anger does? Anger positions our hearts, tries to, above a sovereign God. You should do it the way I want you to do it. I want to be in charge. And I'm angry that it didn't turn out that way. That's where anger leads us. Worship positions our hearts under the sovereignty of God. Worship sends us running into the loving arms of God. Anger sends us running away from God. Worship connects our pain-filled hearts with the compassion of God. That He wants to comfort us. He wants to give us the sustaining strength that we need to endure what we're going through. Worship humbles our hearts. It brings us back to the truth of the gospel that says what we really deserve is death, but instead in God's grace, He gives us and offers us life. And if you are someone who wonders if God exists, and if so, if God does exist, does He really care about you? Is He really good? Because you look at your life and you're like, my life has been so painful that if God does exist, I don't see any evidence that He loves me or cares about me. Look at my life. It's, it's a mess. It's one tragedy after another. The reason that there is sorrow and suffering and pain and death in the world is because of sin. When God created everything, everything was perfect. There was no death, no suffering, no pain. But God also gave mankind free will. And and that free will was used to disobey God. It was used to rebel against God. And that sin broke everything. It tainted everything in our world. But here's the proof of God's love. God didn't say, you know what? Eh, it didn't work out and walk away from us. He didn't say, eh, we tried and then abandon us. Yeah, we'll, we'll walk away and, and maybe in a million years we'll go see how things are. It's not what God did. And God did not remove from us our free will. Instead, God stepped into our humanity. He sent His Son, Jesus, who is perfect, who is sinless, and sent Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrificial payment for your sin and for my sin. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead, proving His victory over sin, proving His victory over death. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Think about it. God watched His own Son die a tragic, 
unfair, painful death on the cross in your place. So that you could put your trust in Jesus and be forgiven and be made right with God to receive a new heart and a new life, a Jesus-centered life instead of a self-centered life. That you could be transformed. And if you haven't yet stepped in faith, uh, in this relationship with Jesus Christ, our hope, our prayer is that today that you would do that. We've got pastors online that want to have that conversation with you. There's pastors in this room that would love to have that conversation with you. You might have some really good questions, and we'd love to be able to sit down and help you discover those answers from God's Word. We're not in a competition for who's had the most painful life, but you might feel like you're winning or losing, depending on how you would describe it. I just want to say to you that whatever level of sorrow or pain that you have experienced, please do not let anger pull you away from God. Keep coming back to God in worship. Keep coming back to God in worship. Because your willingness to worship will determine if your pain results in this angry grudge that you carry around against God or whether you will receive acceptance of God's love, His healing, His purpose in your life, His sustaining grace in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, A very direct question. I'm not expecting you to answer out loud, but I am expecting you and I'm asking of you to pray about it this week. Who in your life do you know that needs to hear this message? Maybe it's you. It could be you. And if it is, I want you to know that that we've been praying this week that, that what we talked about today would be helpful to your heart as you walk through this season of pain. But it may be that God has placed someone in your life, someone in your sphere of influence that is really hurting right now. And they are struggling with their faith. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to ask that every day this week, and I'm, I'm asking start today, start today, every day this week, pray and ask God, who is it in my life, who is it that you will place in in my path this week, that you want me to encourage, that you want me to demonstrate love to, that you want me uh, to demonstrate your kindness to, and point them back to worship. Ask God this week who it is that He would have you minister to. And then ask God how He would have you do that. God, who is it you want me to encourage? And show me how you want me to encourage them? How do you want me to demonstrate your love to them? How do you want me to point them back to worship so they can experience acceptance of your love and grace? How do you want me to do that? And then do it. Just do it. Pray about it every day. Be expectant that God will answer that prayer and do it. 